Yesterday, I was, well, actually for the whole week, I've been reading a book that has just been messing with my mind. And uh, I was reading through it, and, and this fellow is just so verbose. His words are big, and I was, I was plowing through it anyway. I was just going for it. He's definitely using, forget the $20 words, man. He was on the $2,000 words, Jason. And um, making all these arguments, definitely a philosopher. And, uh, and he was making all these arguments, and I was tracking with him, and some of, the, some of the points that he was making were just, they made logical sense, but they began to sit a little funny in my spirit. And I, and I thought to myself, well, I'm gonna plow through this anyway, because I don't wanna be living in an echo chamber. I don't just wanna be thinking my own thoughts. I want somebody else's thoughts in there to challenge my thoughts, get them all you know, stirred up a little bit, and uh, get me thinking, because uh, I'm kind of, I don't know, I don't, I don't wanna be told what to think, uh, by anybody and especially not by myself. Uh, I, want, I want to be led by the Holy Spirit and sometimes you know, we, can, we can get ourselves locked into our own, our own little version of life and, um, and I think God wants us to remain open to His spontaneous move and to maybe challenging us in some things that um, we've become accustomed to or that we prefer or as we get older maybe we just become more entrenched in these ideas. So I thought, okay, I'm going to let someone challenge me. Well, I got about halfway through the book, and, um, and I, no, I'm not even going to tell you, because I don't want you guys reading this book. Anyway, so, so I got about halfway through the book, and, and I started feeling like just uncomfortable. I mean, it, it's, it's making sense, and I'm reading and thinking, this is, this is a very well thought out argument. I mean, you can't, you can't really fault this guy on his process. You, you really can't. But there's a, I was trying to identify. There's a premise that he's made somewhere. Maybe I missed it in the opening pages, but he made, he's made a premise somewhere which just doesn't doesn't work. Anyway, about halfway through the book, I put it down and I went for a walk, and uh, and then I came back and I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to read a few reviews. I'm going to have a look and see what other people have been saying about this book. So I pulled up, I pulled up a couple of reviews on the Amazon site. And I decided instead of reading the five-star reviews, I was going to read the one-star reviews. Yeah, you guys ever do this? It's like my, it's, it's my first place I go is always read the one-star first, you know? Find out who's disgruntled, find out who really has thought this through. And of course, there were some, there were some uh, naysayers and detractors who, who were just not thorough. And uh, you can easily gloss over them. But then there was this one fellow who, I don't know where he got the time to do this, but he wrote what seemed to be like a 14-page review on this guy's book in the Amazon review section. So I read every bit of it, and he was extremely thorough. He was as thorough in his argument as the guy was in the same kind of way that the guy was writing his book. And I thought, oh, okay. Now, I don't know who this guy is who's saying all of this, but, um, but he's, he's echoing some of the thoughts in my heart, although not quite, but he's also picked up something's wrong. Well, then I went online, and, uh, and I went to the Gospel Coalition thegospelcoalition.org or tgc.org, which is one of my favorite places, by the way. I love the Gospel Coalition. And uh, I mean, not, probably not everything, so don't quote me on that you know, blanket. I, I haven't read everything they put out there, but I do enjoy the Gospel Coalition. I think D.A. Carson is one of the, f the finest, greatest spiritual minds and, and uh, theologians that uh, we've, we've really ever seen. And um, anyway, so I was reading through this Gospel Coalition article and the fellow who wrote his, uh, his response to this book just absolutely nailed it, settled it in my heart. And, uh, and I realized something. 
I don't have the mental capacity, at least not, not exercised mental capacity, to be able to process through all these, these arguments. But something inside of me was saying, this doesn't work. I was impressed with the erudition. I was impressed with the, with the cleverness. I was impressed with the, with the formal structure of, of, of a philosophical argument. But something inside of me said, this isn't right. And I realized something very important yesterday. Thank God for the Holy Spirit. Thank God for the Holy Spirit. If it were not for the Holy Spirit, I think we would be easily led astray. Easily led astray by arguments that impress. Arguments that have no, they leave, they leave no, um, uh, no options for, for, for scaling the walls. They, they've got, they've got these, these ironclad arguments. And, but if it were not for the Holy Spirit, we might, we might fall into those traps. We are not actually called to be able to understand all the issues the world is going to throw at us. The argument uh, that, this, that this fellow was making is a very, a very prominent argument. It's a very important discussion in America right now. His book, which was published in November, uh, went within two weeks to the Amazon top 100. Top 100 books sold on Amazon. New York Times, top 100, overnight. And, uh, and an important book that's going to, that's gonna, well, an important book to know that it's not the right, <laughs> if you know what I mean. But, but I thought, this kind of argument out there is dangerous. Jesus, how do we prevent this kind of thing from happening? How do we stand? Do, do I have to stand in the pulpit and bring clear, strong arguments against all these, these uh, new uh, philosophies that, that, that are shaping the way we live? And, uh, and the answer that the Holy Spirit gave me was the title of this morning's sermon. Consider Jesus. Consider Jesus. I think because I have spent time in the Word of God, and I've read it from cover to cover many times, there is, there is a base of knowledge inside of me that the Holy Spirit is able to take and He's able to activate in the middle of an argument. He's able to activate it when I'm contemplating and thinking about and trying to wrestle with how do we do life in this world? How do we walk the ancient way? As I'm wrestling through those things and trying to figure out how we structure our society, structure our, 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 our government, how we structure even the church. If I have a base of knowledge from the scripture, the Holy Spirit is able to take that and he's able to weave it together. And without my brilliance, without my intellectual capabilities, he is able to make things happen anyway. Because the word of God is what contains the power. Now, I, I was challenged 
by the by the the the, the, the way things were thought through and written out. But then I thought about, and, and I thought about about preaching sermons and how sermons probably should be well thought through like this. But then I thought about what about all those people in all different parts of the world who haven't had education to be able to put together a formal argument? What about those people who are uh, who are not mentally? Um, they don't excel. I mean, in First Corinthians, Paul writes to the church in Corinth, and he says, "Not many wise. There's not many wise amongst you. There's not many wealthy. There's not many rich." The, the honest truth is that the majority of people in the household of faith all across the world are just standard average everyday people. I don't know how many of you were brilliant at biology or chemistry or mathematics or maybe some of you were just incredible linguistics or, 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 or even literary geniuses. I, I don't know how many of you there were, but I'm going to warrant a, a hazard a guess that, that, that many of us were just average. And I want you to know that the gospel can be presented to the world by average, ordinary people. In fact, the gospel needs to be presented to the world by average, ordinary people. Because it's not the brilliance of our arguments that are going to convince other people to believe. It's the truth that's going to convince other people to believe. And even a brilliant argument that lacks the truth you just know in your heart that's not right because the Holy Spirit bears witness to the truth. And the truth doesn't need supremely well-presented arguments to be true. It just is true. So I think it behooves us to focus our attention considering Jesus out of which will come the perfect word from the Lord at the right time that touches the heart of the listener and brings faith where there was none. So I want to read to you a little passage here out of the Gospel of Matthew. I don't say this, I didn't, I didn't give you this introduction so that I could make excuses for not putting together well thought through arguments, even though I didn't go to sleep until two o'clock because I was singing songs. But, but I, I, I give this to you because I want you to identify with the normalcy of the gospel. It is supernatural and it is absolutely amazing, but it's also down to earth, normal totally trustworthy truth that you can apply in any situation and it will it will produce fruit so in Matthew chapter 1 verse 18 now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit Yep. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. He just couldn't go with it. Something wasn't right. Something didn't fit. Listen, Mary, I love you, but your story, wow. Amazing, amazing um, as you think about this fellow, that he, he was such a gentle guy that he was willing to 
to let her go quietly and not make a public scene out of this. He's, a, he's an interesting chap, isn't he? He resolved to divorce her quietly, but as he considered these things, as he considered, the word consider, the word consider is, uh, is to think about something in such a manner that you really give it its, its I don't know, you give it its, its full space to breathe. You, you think about something all the way through to the final completion of it. Where does this go? Consider. Considering these things. Consider is the kind of thought that you have before you make a decision. You, you know you have to have a decision. You've got to come up with an answer. And so considering is that, that, that time frame when you're contemplating the different options here, but the end result of it is you're going to make a choice. You're going to make a choice. You know, I, I think about that uh, that statue of of the thinker. You know, the the um, that that famous statue, and I I wonder how many of us have the luxury of time to think and to ponder things and to just I don't know contemplate the heavens or contemplate uh, the atomic structure or contemplate all kinds of stuff where you can think without having to make any decisions whatsoever. You can just let your thoughts really focus in. You can just zoom in, or you can you can focus in the the, the microscope and you can think on a thought. But there's no there's no pressure to make a decision about it. How many of you enjoy thinking time like that? Anybody get a lot of that? Some of you do. Most of us don't. We don't have that luxury. Stuff happens. Life happens. And when life isn't happening at, uh, at helter-skelter pace, we, we usually are sitting on the couch with our feet up trying to relax and watching somebody else think for us, right? Thinking is not, it's not, uh, it's not really a national pastime. And, <laughs> sorry, there was, anyway, um, there, pro there, was probably a, there was probably a holdover from that book I read. Anyway, so... Um, but I think when crisis happens, when, when disaster occurs, or when we've, got a, when we've got a divergence in the path in front of us and we have to make a decision, that's when we make the time to consider. Joseph obviously had a decision to make, and he really needed to think it through. While he was considering these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. And by the way, um, how many of you would really love to see an angel appearing? Anybody? I see a couple of hands back there. Uh, yeah, love to see an angel appear. You think that would be an amazing thing? Uh, just, just a, a little um, FYI. When angels show up in the Bible, they usually, it's usually for a birth announcement. So, if you want to see an angel, get ready to have a kid. Okay. So um, then again, if it's not a birth announcement, the angels sometimes show up with judgment. So I'm not really sure, you know, they've got a sword drawn, you know, Balaam and his donkey, remember that? Or maybe there's an angel that, that shows up and, and destroys a city or whatever. So if you see an angel, either you're going to have a kid or something's going to burn. All right. So I don't really know that I want to see any angels any day soon. This particular angel is making a birth announcement. And it's, it's interesting that, that, uh, that the consideration that Joseph was going through. He didn't really have a rubric. He didn't have a way to think this one through. He came to a point in his considering where he didn't have the right, he didn't have the right path. And he had resolved already in his heart to let her go. And God didn't want that to happen. When I read the story again, I thought to myself, 
how easy would it be for us to mess up God's plan? And then I thought, actually, not that easy. Because Joseph could really have messed up the works here. He could have messed up the whole plan. And he had considered the situation and he came to a logical conclusion in his brain. All right, you know what? I'm just going to do this quietly. She's a nice girl. I mean, I don't know what happened, but, you know, but she can go quietly. He made the resolution in his heart, made the wrong one, and God intervened. And I want to ask you why it is that you think that you could be so powerfully effective as to completely undo what God's doing in your life and through your life. I understand that sin is a, has the power to sever the will of God in the immediate. But the will of God is actually not even thwarted by sin because it was our sin that had us ejected from Eden which resulted in the long-awaited Messiah who died for our sins and restores us to heaven. So he was the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. So even sin did not sever the ultimate will of God. I, what am I trying to say? What I'm saying is that God is able to do more than you could ask or imagine. He's able to do more. For you and me, I think there are times when um, when we're anxious. Uh, we're anxious about about the will of God. If I look at Joseph and his life, I see a few things that I think are important uh, to notice. I know that he was a godly man. Uh, what does it say here? He was a just man. He was unwilling to put someone to shame. He was exercising what we would consider to be godly characteristics here. He was righteous. And when he was about to make the wrong decision, God shifted him. Even if it took an angel appearing in a dream to do that. God loved the plan so much that nothing was going to stop it. The angel appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So, as I'm, as I'm just thinking through this idea, Joseph didn't have all the right information. But he made it, he made it a wise decision based on the information that he had. It was the wrong decision. But an angel came and fixed that. And then he had to make a decision again. And the decision was, don't fear. Don't fear. And obey God. As I'm thinking through the process of what God does in our lives, sometimes we don't have all the information. We make a decision based on what we know. We try to make a faithful decision, 
sometimes it's the wrong one. What stops us from going down that wrong road? I believe the voice of God. And the voice of God comes, in his case, through an angel. But I believe in our case, the voice of God comes through the Holy Spirit, who speaks to us the word of God that has already been given. And so as we're trying to search and find our way, and we're using the, our knowledge to the best of our ability, the, the, the element of, the, the essential element in this mix is not our understanding. The essential element is the voice of the Holy Spirit. You understand? If we have the voice of the Holy Spirit, then our lack of understanding will not thwart the will of God. So am I, am I making myself a little bit more clear now? Are, we, are you guys following with me? I mean, this, is a little bit, this is a little bit more like sermon prep than it is an actual sermon. But anyway, bear with me, because I think it's an important point. I cannot come to the place where I have to rely upon my own understanding to get through the issues of life, or even to resolve the problems, or even to answer the questions that people bring me in objection to the faith. Because I don't have all the information. And I can't. My time is limited. My resources are limited. My brain is limited. My experience is limited. I see with these two eyes. I don't have the I don't have the, the, the capacity to think like the internet does and have and have everything out there and then assimilate all the information. I don't have that ability. And that could that could paralyze me. And that could paralyze you. At what point will we become confident ambassadors of Jesus Christ? Will it be when we are able to answer every objection that any person anywhere could ask us at any time? If that's the case, then none of us will ever open our mouths. It's important for us to consider, but the most important thing for us to consider is Jesus. And so I want to take you to the book of Hebrews. As I was paging through Matthew, and I thought about how Matthew presents Jesus to us, I was just, it was a beautiful exercise. Um, it's just take, take a day and look at the 35, 36 pages of the Gospel of Matthew and just go through it page by page. Have a look even if just at the headings that, that might be there in your Bible and begin to describe Jesus, the person. Look, look and see how Matthew describes Jesus and, and, and systematically start at the beginning and say, okay, this is what I see about Jesus. Just a, maybe a one word or one little statement that describes Jesus in a passage and go through the 35 or 36 pages of Matthew and see how Jesus gets described. Just, just summarize it, how Jesus is described in that passage. And I thought, to myself as I consider Jesus. He is the leader that I have always wanted. Matthew presents Jesus as a sovereign king. He presents him as a leader that is just, he's the, he's the dream leader. He really is. I mean, 
from the beginning, he's identified with, uh, with the, the underprivileged, he's identified with the poor, he's identified with the weak, and yet he doesn't stay there. He's not, he's not eternally weak, he's not eternally poor. He just knows what it feels like so he can empathize with us, and then he can go into the midst of that and say, rich or poor is irrelevant, what's relevant is faith. See? And in the midst of that, uh, of that place, he emerges from, from a place without, without resources, he emerges as a voice that shifts the entire world. I mean, even if you don't believe that Jesus is who he said he was, you cannot, you cannot deny that Jesus changed all of history. Even if you don't believe his claims, at his, his claim to be God and man, if you, don't, if you don't believe his claim that those who believe in him will not die but will have everlasting life, even if you don't believe that, you have to acknowledge nobody ever did to the world what Jesus has done. All of history is focused around him. He's the center point. You just can't get away from it. The nations of the world have been shaped by his teachings either for or against nations for him or, or against him, but he has been the, at the crux of all these things. As you think about Jesus, he's not, a, he's not a, a weak leader. He's a strong leader, but his strength comes through in, in the most profound ways. His strength comes through in that he's able to speak truth to power. His strength comes through that he's not intimidated by, by authorities that disagree. His strength comes through that he's not an angry man, Although he's not afraid to, to tie together a whip and to, and to cleanse his father's house. He's not effeminate, but yet he, he identifies with women. And, and women love him. And women are selected by him to be the first amongst the apostles of his resurrection. Jesus is he's strong, he's powerful, he's, his wisdom is amazing. If you think about the way that he answers questions with regard to, I mean, who doesn't have a question about taxes, right? And Jesus answers the question about taxes with a statement, a single statement, which stands throughout the ages as the most Profound statement with regard to our responsibility, civic responsibility and our responsibility to God. One single statement that's packed with so much, so much power, it's, it's, you, you, can, you can write volumes and volumes and volumes and fill libraries with it. As we contemplate Jesus, the, the one who embraces the outcast, isn't that the kind of leader that you want? Somebody who cares for, for the, under, the underprivileged or the outcast. Somebody who goes up to a leper and puts his arms around and gives him a hug and says, be healed. And doesn't just say be healed, but actually heals the guy. Jesus who sees when people are hungry and decides, you know what, let's feed them. You know what, guys, just have a look and see what we got in the, uh, in the basket there. What do we got? He takes from whatever's his and gives it to those who are in need. Isn't that the kind of leader that you want? But he's also not the kind of leader that just gives everything away willy-nilly. There are some people who come and who want, but he doesn't give to them because their heart isn't right. They seek for the wrong reasons. He challenges us to our core. It's no wonder they wanted to take him and make him king in some of the towns that he was at. 
if Jesus walked into the room today, you'd all just jump up and shout and scream after you'd you know, fallen on the ground in abject terror. But you'd, you'd jump and shout when he'd you know, show you the holes in his hands and in his side. He'd maybe, maybe he'd say to you, like he said to Thomas, here, put your, put, your, put your hand in there. Feel my ribs, you know. I did that for you. And something inside of you would just snap and you'd suddenly turn into the biggest fan and you'd want to just run around telling everybody about this guy. And then you'd want to, I don't know, you'd want to give him the fanciest car and you know get out there with a loud halo and tell everybody vote for Jesus you know and uh, and we want him to be our governor or our or our president or something but Jesus doesn't kowtow to the to the crowd he doesn't he doesn't run with with uh, what the majority say he's committed to truth why do you object to Jesus as a leader what objection do you have to this fellow isn't every single thing about him what your heart yearns for? He's humble. He's not arrogant. He's kind. He looks at people who've been caught in adultery and sin, and he doesn't judge them. He forgives them, but he tells them, go sin no more. So he's firm. He doesn't, he doesn't, he's not shaky when it comes to absolutes and truth. Tells his disciples, don't worry about weapons. You don't need weapons. And then he says to his disciples, tell you what, bring a sword. You might need that one. He's not opposed to power and authority. It's just got to be at the right place, in the right time, and for the right reasons. His enemies tremble in fear. And he knows his own. But he's even kind to those who betray. He even gives chances. Appeals to them and calls them. Is that really what you want to do? As you consider the leadership of Jesus... I'd like to see your argument as to why he's not the leader for you. I can't imagine a better leader, a more worthy king. The book of Hebrews talks about the worth of Jesus. And it, and it, the author of the book of Hebrews pits Jesus against Moses and against Aaron and against Melchizedek and against this and that. And he, and, and he, and he shows how Jesus is better against all of, of, of our heroes of the past. And uh, particularly, obviously, the book of Hebrews is written to, written to, uh, to Hebrews. So you're going to be looking at, uh, at the, the heroes of the Hebrew faith. But it shows how Jesus is the fulfillment of everything they've ever longed for, everything their hearts have ever looked for. And, uh, and how he is so far greater. And uh, as you read through the book of Hebrews, it's hard not to get excited, especially when you get towards the end and you see the promises that have been made about God being a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. In the book of Hebrews, and uh, chapter 3, it says, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, 
Consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses was also faithful in all God's house. Jesus came to us as a leader under authority. And as we consider that, that's the kind of leader I want. The one who's accountable. The one who is responsible for his leadership. He's not just uh, a, a dictator or a, uh, um, some kind of autocrat. He's, he's, he's accountable. But he's not accountable to me. Thank God for that. Because I am fickle. And I don't know. I don't understand. He is... He is... Uh, he takes me into consideration and he loves me, but he doesn't have to answer to me. That removes from me a great weight, a great burden. But he's faithful to God. He did exactly what God said he was supposed to do. As you read through the Old Testament and then you look at Jesus in the New Testament, you see that Jesus did what God said. He didn't leave out one thing. That's the profound nature of Jesus' walking amongst us for the 33 years that he was here. He walked amongst us and fulfilled every one of God's expectations. Every single one. Did exactly what his father said he was supposed to do. He's faithful to him who was appointed, who appointed him. Anyway, it goes on to say in verse 6, But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. In, in, in Hebrews chapter 12, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, or perhaps uh, considering Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. Consider him, verse 3, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. I think the only reason why we would reject Jesus as our leader is because we don't want a leader. That's the only reason. If you want a leader, there is no better leader than Jesus. There is absolutely no better leader than Jesus. Hands down, he's the winner. The only reason why we don't accept him as our leader is because we don't want a leader. Because we don't want discipline. Because we don't want people telling us what to do. That's the real reason. The reason we reject Jesus is the rebellion of our own hearts. That's the reason. And I say, humble yourself. Why do you want to be your own boss? What qualifies you for that role as leader? Are you strong? 
can you stand up when the crowd is going one way and go the other way because that's the truth and that's that's the right maybe you can maybe you think you can are you the kind of person that's kind to those who are not kind to you are you the kind of person who takes vengeance or are you able to say mm, there's something bigger at play here I don't need to win this argument let me try win their heart instead Are you the kind of leader who's able to take from your own and give it to somebody else who has need even when they're unworthy of it? When you've watched them wastefully squander all that they have and then you still take what's yours and give it to them? Are you that kind of a leader? Are you that kind of generous? What qualifies you to be the Lord of your own life? What qualifies you to say no to God and yes to your own design? What qualifies you to be that kind of a leader? As you think about yourself, and the reason why you're so proud of yourself, maybe you need to look a little harder. Jesus was able to submit himself to the desire of his Father, even over his own passions and his own desires. Don't you remember Gethsemane? Don't you remember? When he said, can you please take this cup away from me? Yet he submitted himself to the Father and he was made perfect through his obedience. The perfect Christ was made perfect. How does that even happen? How do you make something perfect? Perfect. Uh, yeah. It's not about perfection. It's about qualification. Jesus qualified to be your leader because he submitted himself to the authority of someone higher than himself. Every one of us who does not submit ourselves to an authority higher than ourselves has de declared ourselves to be the ultimate authority. And I just know, I know, because I know myself, that's just wrong. So, consider Jesus. You do have a decision to make. The decision that you're making, the decisions that you make every single day, at the bottom of them all, the big decisions, that at the bottom of it all, there's, there's going to be, there's gonna be the, 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 the path is going to split in one of two ways. You're going to do this the way you want to, or the way you're going to do this the way God wants to. So if it's living with a girlfriend, well, it's convenient. Pay less money. And rent an apartment together. And we don't have to make commitment to each other, but you know what? We, we can practice. See how, how it works living together. The desires of your own heart, the desires of your own flesh, the logic of your own mind are going to lead you down one path. And God's going to say at the bottom of all, the voice of the Holy Spirit who is present in our lives, as long as we don't sear that conscience, but the Holy Spirit present in our lives, He's going to say to us, don't do that. Don't do that. And we're going to say, why shouldn't I do that? It's what I want to do. And he's going to say, because I've got something better for you. I've got something better for you that honors that individual and honors their parents and honors marriage and relationships in general and honors the children that maybe you will one day have with somebody else. Because maybe that person isn't meant for you. And maybe I've got a better solution for your, for your living quarters. Maybe I've got a better way that's maybe through the valley of hardship first, but it's going to come out with the gold, the gold at the end. Not the bronze, not the silver. It's going to come out with the gold at the end.
I started out telling you that we don't need to have brilliant minds to understand this, to understand every single thing. We can't. There's not enough time. And we forget. What we can do is we can submit ourselves to the authority of God because He is trustworthy. We can put ourselves under the leadership of Christ because He's a worthy leader. And we can say, I don't need to understand why. I'm just going to say, yes, Lord. You're going to get hung up in the weeds if you keep questioning Jesus. Stop it. The arguments of the world are very convincing. But something in your heart is more powerful than that. And for those of you who put your faith in Jesus and who are confused, Lord, I just want to do the right thing. I just don't know where to go. I'm not sinning. It's not a, I, don't even, I just don't know how to make this choice. God, I'm going to resolve my heart to do it this way because that seems right to me. I don't have all the information, but commit this to you. God, that's how I'm going to do it. I want you to know something. God will let angels show up if he has to, but he will keep you on the right path because the steps of the righteous are ordered of the Lord and you will not fail to walk in God's way if you walk in faith. Amen. Amen. So be it. Thank you, Lord, for your word. I pray your grace on this fellowship. I pray that you would help us to process these thoughts well. I pray that you would help us to get to a place of trust. I pray that you would help us to get beyond our pride to confess that we don't know the way but you do Jesus there are people in this room who have never made a, who've never made the confession of faith Holy Spirit, draw them. Nicodemus came to Jesus in the middle of the night trying to find out who Jesus really was. And Jesus said to Nicodemus that if he really wanted to understand, he was going to have to be born again. What he meant by that was Nicodemus could no longer trust and rely upon his wealth of experience and knowledge. He was going to have to go back to the beginning because the problem was not that Nicodemus hadn't collected good information, but that in his collection of good information, Nicodemus had also been tainted. And he was going to have to start again from scratch. He was going to have to start again like an infant, like a baby, and learn everything again from new. I want you to know that you also must be born again. You also have to start new. If you're honest, truly honest, 
life just hasn't been all you expected it to be. And if you're truly honest, the questions are still there. They linger. And if you're truly honest, the answers the world has provided are not satisfactory. And Jesus is inviting you today to start again. He's the only one who can truly offer that because he can wash away your guilt, your shame, and the sin of your past. And he can offer you that because he paid the price. Today he invites you, please don't leave this for tomorrow. While it is still called today, call upon the name of the Lord. If you have simple childlike faith in Jesus and you actually say, just say yes, I, I don't understand, but I, but I, my heart says yes. The Bible promises us that we will be saved. That's what it promises. You will be saved. So, would you be born again? In American tradition, uh, pastors invite people to raise their hands as a display of outward faith, something that's happening on the inside. I'm not so sure that, a, that an altar call moment is what it means to be saved. But I do believe that there is actually a moment in time when you, when you make a decision that becomes a, a permanent decision. There, there are those moments in time. They, they, they exist. I remember when I chose to marry Tammy. It was a moment in time, and, I, and it became a reality. I asked her. She said, yes. Amazing. And then we made preparation, and we had a wedding. And now here we are. So there was actually a moment in time. I guess the value of an altar call is the value that it has in the heart of an individual who's raising their hand. It may mean nothing to anybody else, but in that moment there's a there's a yes, there's a it's it's like a public yes. And for the individual that's precious. I don't think it's salvific. I don't think it can save you. I think your heart attitude to the Lord is what's important and Jesus' work is what saves you. But I want to give an opportunity today anyway in case there's somebody here who says yes. So, would you be born again? If that's you and you'd like to say yes to Jesus, just go ahead and raise your hand. Say yes, that's me. Anybody at all? awkward moment when the church doesn't know where to look. Do you look in front? Do you look behind? Do you just keep your eyes closed? Is there anybody at all? Well, knowing that embarrassment in front of crowds can be a big thing, also knowing that conviction takes a lot more work than just Eric preaching a sermon, I'd like to pray that God will continue that work in your heart for those of you who need him, and we all need him. And I pray that the Lord will continue to do that work, not just here now, but over time.
and that he will be gracious to you and give you just enough time. But I, I warn you and I admonish you, don't put off until tomorrow this very important thing. Please consider Jesus. Amen. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Go in the name of the Lord. Have a wonderful, wonderful Christmas week. And God willing, we'll see you on Sunday morning, 10 o'clock. Thank you. Oh, anybody watching online, if you're still there and you'd like to pray uh, to ask Jesus into your heart, uh, please send me a text um, or send me an email, pastor at livinghopefamilychurch.com. I'd love to pray with you. Thank you for listening.